Hey, welcome to Access. John here. I just want to remind you that if you're seeking a, a good Bible study, that we are continuing to have a study on the end times in 70 AD. We are walking through a study on Matthew chapter 24 and the testimony of Josephus, and we're discussing what we can expect when Jesus comes back. To all who want to move closer to God or are invited to attend, we do that on Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. in the Family Life Center. Today we're going to continue our study on the book of Hebrews chapter 2. So if you have a Bible handy, turn to Hebrews 2 verses 1 through 4. This message is entitled, Drifting Away. Have you ever suddenly got perspective on your life and wondered how you got there? When I was in my drug addiction, there were several mornings that I would wake up in my driveway and I had no idea how I'd gotten there. But that's not necessarily what I'm referring to. What I'm talking about is how sometimes it hits me that I'm about to turn 35 years old, and if the average age before death is 70 years old, I've already lived half of my life. Which, by the way, I know that many people listening might be living on borrowed time, and for me to talk about how my life is half over makes you laugh. But, but seriously, I often look up and I think, I'm not only married, I have three children. I mean, how did that happen? It's often like I've been living on autopilot and I forgot to pay attention to how fast my life has been moving around me. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. I mean, it's a strange experience when all the events of your life start to sink in all at once. Well, in that same fashion, have you ever looked up and wondered, how did I get so far away from God? You know, nobody really ever says, you know, I had enough of this Jesus stuff, I'm out of here. I mean, I suppose it does happen where people walk away from the faith, but we have something more important to focus on whether or not we will make a hard turn away from Jesus one day. Because I think 99 out of 100 people who find themselves far away from God, it's not because they abandoned their faith. No, they slowly drifted away from a lifestyle of faith and worship. Which should tell us we should spend less time worrying about losing faith and more time on not drifting away from him. I mean, because as a believer, we're much more likely to drift away than to simply abandon ship. Now, when I've been studying uh, the book of Hebrews, uh, as I've been preaching it, I'll admit, all of chapter 1 was pretty difficult to preach. The reason why is because the author spends all of his time building a theological framework, and he doesn't really give real application. All of chapter 1 was spent telling how, uh, his audience how Christ is the final word of God, how he's the exact representation of God, and how Christ is on the throne, and how Christ is superior to the angels. And all these, all these truths are important. There's not really been real instruction on what we're supposed to do with all that information. And the reason why is because the book of Hebrews was not meant to be dissected verse by verse. It's meant to be read all at once, which I would strongly encourage if you're going to continue studying the book of Hebrews with me. Either way, since we uh, having to dissect it verse by verse, it, it should, should be helpful and hopefully encouraging to know that today is the day when all, the author is about to bring all those truths to a powerful application. As we study uh, chapter 2, that's when he really starts getting into some application. So before we do that, I want to ask you to keep in mind the original audience of this passage, that it's not Gentiles, uh, it's not you and me, it's, it was the Hebrew people, which is why it's called the book of Hebrews. The Hebrews were told truths about Jesus, and many even believed that he was the Messiah. 
As we studied the book of John, we saw how several of the Jews did believe that Jesus was the Messiah. However, they didn't surrender to him as the Son of God, the Lord of their lives. And when I was in middle, middle school, I used to have a teacher that would clap her hands when she talked and would shout, Pay attention! And I always hated that. And, you know, I, I, I think it's effective. I mean, we always pay attention after that. I just really was annoyed by that. And I just want to warn you that I might start doing that when I start seeing people drift off during one of my sermons. Uh, essentially, that's what the author of Hebrews is doing in today's passage. He says, here's a lot of information. Now, pay attention. Okay? He's saying this This is important right here. And this is what he does in Hebrews chapter 2. So let's read chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. He says, for this reason... We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. For if the words spoken through the angels proved to be unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. God also testifying with them both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Let's pray. Father God, we ask that this morning as we studied your word that you would take this text and that God that you would really show us how we can be in close fellowship with you. Show us what it's like when we start to drift away and Father, just bring us back. Thank you God for having having open arms with us. And I pray, God, that we would never have the attitude that I can do what I want because God will just take me back. Help us to see that when we sin against you, it breaks your heart. And that's not a relationship. That's abuse. Father, help us not to abuse you, to abuse your grace. I know you're a big God and you can take it. Help us to just fall so deeply and madly in love with you that we would never find enjoyment out of hurting you. Father, just uh, transform our hearts and use this passage of Scripture to do it. And Father, if at all possible, I ask that you use me to do it. Love you, Father, and all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This passage begins with, uh, for this reason, or in some translations, therefore. In other words, the author is building off of a previous argument that he's made. He's building off of chapter 1. And this is just a personal pet peeve of mine, but when I I, I feel it's important to mention that it's easy to take verses out of context when we ignore uh, words like these, for this reason and therefore. So if you ever see the word therefore in the Bible, go back just a little bit and try to discover what it's there for. Okay, that's what he's doing. He's building off of chapter 1. He's building off this argument that he has made that Jesus is superior to the angels. He says, for this reason. For what reason? Jesus is superior to the angels. For this reason, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. Pay attention. It's annoying, right? Maybe, but it's pretty effective. When do you typically know that something needs attention? When do you know your back needs attention? That you need a chiropractor? Or that you need a dentist? Or that you need to be paying more attention to your children? 
things start to get painful, right? I mean, your, your children start to show out or act out. And it's not something that, that can't necessarily be forgiven, and it's not something you can't address. That's how we know we need to begin addressing those things. How do we know, though, that we've started to drift away from God and that we need to pay better attention to our spiritual lives? Well, I think this is the hard part is that we don't typically notice that we're drifting away. That's why so often we can look up and say, man, how did I get so far away from the Lord? When things start to get painful spiritually, it's often too late to change it. I mean, the things we said can't be unsaid. The things we've done can't be undone, which is why it's so important to pay attention to the things of God. It's really annoying. I know, but I'm going to keep doing it. Jesus said the road to destruction is broad and many find it. Do you, do you want to know why Jesus said that? I think it's because Jesus recognized that most people who often die and go to hell aren't what we would call bad people. I mean, some of them are, sure, but most of them aren't. They are the people who, uh, except for one thing, look just like us. I mean, they're married, they love their kids, they work hard, they have a mortgage, they love life, and they look for ways to be happy, just like us. They might even believe in God, and might even go to church occasionally, and they might even pray every day. The big difference is, is that they just don't pay attention to the things of God. The things of God just aren't that important to them. That's not where their focus is. They're not focused on Christ. And they just really don't care. They don't see how Christ is relevant to their life. And we're not saved by keeping our focus on him. We're, we're saved in, in that um, he has given his life up as a ransom for us. And if we will trust in him, we can have eternal life. But what does it mean to trust in him? What does that really look like? If we have our attention on God, it's because he got our attention and has been, he's captivated our hearts to see how important he truly is. Let us not begin to feel prideful and look down on others because their focus isn't on God's like ours are, ours is and how great we are. I believe it's true. We can look up and not realize how far we've come from God. We can't believe the things that we said or thought or, or, or that we did. And it was all because we didn't realize we were drifting away from him. I and mean, that can happen to us. However, we can say this. We have a God who is so good to us that no matter what we've said or thought or done he always welcomes us home if we will repent and turn back to him the author of hebrews is warning his readers that they need to pay much closer attention to what they have heard well what did they hear We'll get to that in verse 3. Let's first look at verse 2 in, in the first part of verse 3. This is what it says. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Remember how the author spent most of chapter 1 talking about how Jesus is superior to the angels? Well, here's why he did that. 
if what the angels said proved time and time again to be unalterable, meaning you couldn't change it or prove them wrong, and every sin and the slightest disobedience was punished. Let's stop right there for just a second. In the Jewish context, the Hebrew people knew the stories about angels quite well. For example, they could easily tell you about how in the book of Genesis, God destroyed Sodom, right? They looked down on Sodom. Oh, you don't want to be like Sodom. Sodom was a corrupt city, and God decided to destroy it by sending down two angels. God did, however, because of a promise he made to Abraham, spare Lot, his wife, and his two daughters. And if you're familiar with the story, you know that the angels told Lot and his family that when they left, not to turn around. Don't turn around. Don't turn around. You keep going. Well, Lot's wife disobeyed, and she was immediately turned into a pillar of salt. God struck her down in his wrath. Now, that seems a little harsh, don't you think? I mean, all she did was turn around to see what was happening behind her, and God destroyed her for it? Well, why were they instructed not to turn around? Keep in mind, Sodom was a horribly sinful place. God said that in all the city, there weren't even ten people who had remorse over their sins that they were committing. And so when the angels instructed Lot and his family to leave and not to turn around, they were told to leave behind that whole life of sin. Still, it seems a little harsh, right? I mean, why, why do you think she turned around? I mean, she probably heard a lot of screaming and maybe some explosions and probably justified turning around and she just wanted to see what was happening. Why is that so wrong? I mean, she probably even had friends back in Sodom that she was concerned about. Well, keep in mind, the Bible consistently tells us to choose our friends wisely. For example, Proverbs 12, 26 says, The righteous should choose his friends carefully, for the way of the wicked leads them astray. Your friends will influence you, is essentially what that talks about. Keep in mind, Lot's wife was told not to turn around, and she disobeyed. Jesus said it this way, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. In other words, you cannot serve God and focus on the sin that you enjoyed so much and how God is keeping you from it. The sin behind us should disgust us. It should make us feel ashamed, not like we're missing out. It should, we should mourn our sin, not, not wish we could go back to it. Our focus has to be on Christ. Now, you might still be convinced that God destroying Lot's wife or turning around was a little bit harsh. But look at what this verse says in, in the book of Hebrews chapter 2. It says that, that the Jews knew there was a slight, that the slightest disobedience of the angel's instruction would be punished. Right? It says, for the angels proved, the word they spoke proved to be unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty. Sometimes we can get in the mindset that when God punishes someone or that he sends someone to hell, it's unfair and unjust. But the reality is, is that when God punishes us, he is just. We deserve it. We get so used to seeing God through the lens of grace and mercy, which is what he extends to us, but we begin to believe that God has to give us grace and mercy. And when God doesn't give grace and mercy, it's not because he's unjust, but because he is just. The scandal isn't that he wouldn't give us grace. The scandal is that he has. 
Because when the angels gave instruction as messengers of the Lord and it was ignored, and even in the slightest way, the trespassers were punished. And if this happens when you ignore the angels, and here comes the author of Hebrews' argument, how much greater doom have we landed in when we ignore the words of the Son who is far superior to the angels? He asked, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation. The Greek word for neglect is used in another place in the New Testament. In Jesus' parable, those who have failed to attend the wedding after being invited. Uh, this, of course, represented the Jews, God's people, who were given the invitation to share the invita- into the marriage of being the bride of Christ, that they were invited to do that. They were invited and even agreed to go. But then the time came for the wedding in the parable, And they had much more important things to do. It wasn't that they didn't want to go. It's just, you know, I forgot about it and I took my focus off of it. I got busy. And you know what? I'm doing something important right now. But what is more important than the coming Messiah? You see, they neglected their invitation. Not because they were just being bad about it. They just took their focus off of it and because of it. Not only do they miss out, they're punished. The author of Hebrews uses the same word here, neglect. If we neglect so great a salvation, not that we openly, you know, bite our thumbs and stick out our tongues and to God, but we stop focusing on so great a salvation, how do you think that we will escape the coming wrath? Our salvation has to be the most important thing in our life. That Christ brought us salvation. It's not a weekend event. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity. And we are forever changed by it. We must pay attention to what we have heard. And what have we heard? Well, look at verse 3. If it was first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. After what was spoken through the Lord? The words of life. And here's the thing. Some people heard them, and it sank down into their souls. And other people heard them and just didn't pay close enough attention. Remember John 6 when all the people started leaving Jesus and he turns to his disciples and asks, Are you going to leave me too? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus said in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. He said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. You see, the Hebrews knew the word spoken through Christ. They simply neglected it. They didn't pay close attention to it. And the author of Hebrews asked him, how do you think you're going to escape God's wrath when you neglect what was said by the Son? 
For he says it was first spoken through the Lord, and then it was confirmed to us by those who heard. This, by the way, is, is why many people argue that Paul couldn't have written Hebrews because if he had written it, he would have more likely said, well, Christ told me himself on the road to Damascus. But I don't want you to miss something else that is important here. We see that in this verse there is great importance to the Hebrew people and the early church to transmit information carefully. They didn't look kindly on people who simply added their own spin on what happened. Verbal tradition was heavily guarded and protected as far as what was actually said. We see that here in this passage. Not only did Jesus say it, his disciples confirmed that he said it. And in verse 4, he says, God testified with them both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. In the Old Testament, when man carried out instruction from the Lord, God would often correspond with, with what they were saying by proving that it was, you know, it was from him through signs and miracles and wonders. Probably one of the most powerful displays of this was through the prophet Moses when he told Pharaoh to let God's people go. Ten plagues fell on Egypt to prove God wanted Pharaoh to let them go. And this was widely accepted in, Jude in Judaism. This was a widely accepted belief. When someone was in accordance with God's will, he would testify with signs and wonders. All of the prophets did this. Which is why Nicodemus said to Jesus when he said in John 3, 2, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one could do these signs unless God is with him. Jesus says to his own disciples in John 14, 11, Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. We get to read some incredibly powerful stories in the New Testament about how God carried the gospel message of Christ throughout the world and proved he was in the testimony being preached because of the miracles and signs that the apostles were able to do. God was working through them. And listen, we don't just get to read about it in our Bibles. We get to see it today. God is a wonder-working God. The truth about Jesus is confirmed in the manifestation of spiritual gifts today. They are real. They do happen. And before we begin to question that, let me ask you a question. If if there are no real reminders that we have drifted away from God, then why do we all of a sudden look up and realize that we have moved a long way away from God? That is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is getting our attention, and He is drawing us back to Himself. That is the work of God. No, it's not parting the waters, but it could be parting the waters for us. God places us under conviction, and that is just as important a miracle and a wonder of God as any other that you might read in Scripture. He is drawing us back to Himself. And so I want to ask you right now, do you feel as close to God as you ever have? If so, this is not a trick. I'm not going to try to flip it on you and say, well, when the moment you start to feel humble, you're not. You're full of pride. If you feel right at this moment that you and God have never been closer, then praise him for that. That is awesome. That, that's something you can be excited about. 
I pray that God begins to, to blow your mind in new ways and he will take you even deeper in the relationship and that he shows you that you and he were only scratching the surface. That is something to be celebrated that you are close to God. But for those of us who might feel far away from God right now, wondering how we managed to stray so far, first recognize that that is the Holy Spirit working in you. Second, think about why he's showing you that. And third, just for fun, ask yourself, what began to take priority over God in your life? Listen, it doesn't have to be something sinful. It could be, but not necessarily it could have been a good thing, like work or a relationship with someone that pulled you away. Well, how do I know those are the things that pulled me away? Well, even good things can take the place of God when we start to worship the gift more than the giver, the creation more than the creator. When we do that, that is when we start to drift away. God gives us the opportunity to find forgiveness and fellowship with him when we turn from those things, when we take them off the throne of our life and we say, you do not belong here. And we acknowledge Jesus' right to sit down on that throne and take lordship over our lives. The author of Hebrews warns his audience to pay much closer attention to what Jesus has said. How do you do that, practically speaking? Do you remember in the book of Genesis what men would do when God spoke to them or showed them something awesome? You know what they did? They built an altar. Why did they do that? They built an altar so that it would serve as a reminder. That's where I was when God came to me. Building an altar in our lives when God works doesn't have to be done with rocks. I mean, you can if you like. I think there's an easier way. I think we meditate and what we focus on what God has taught us, what he has shown us. I want to ask you, what was the last impactful thing God did with you? What did he do? What did he say that blew your mind? Maybe you're saying, John, I, I can't remember. That's been so long ago. I understand where you're at. I'm going to ask you just to begin praying that God would show you right now. That he would speak to you right now. And then if he doesn't, right now, you continue to put your trust in him and you focus on him. Much like how Jacob wrestled with God and said, I'm not letting go until you bless me. And I believe God, when we seek him, Scripture tells us he rewards those who diligently seek him. Last week's Sunday school class has messed me up. I mean, this is, this is really the big, last big thing that God showed me. I've been meditating on uh, our Sunday school class all week long. It was about how um, our pride is in competition with other people's pride. It's our pride that hates pride in others that when we see people acting prideful we don't like that 
because we want to be the top dog. And the truth is that we pretend to act like we are better than other people. You know, I've been meditating on that truth all week long. It has messed me up because I've been realizing how much I have truly been doing that. There's a thing that C.S. Lewis says. He says, um, Satan will allow you to pay a penny's worth of obedience if it gets you a pride, uh, a pound's worth of pride. It's our pride that gets us into a lot of trouble. I've just been thinking about that all week long, looking down on people and the people that I've done that to. And I'm just so sorry I have. But in meditating that, God gave me a little piece of truth and a, a jewel, if you would. I found one person that I can feel like I'm better than. And no, it's not Donald Trump or Nancy Pelosi. It's my old self. I can look down and feel better than my old self. And I recognize, of course, that, that even that is a slippery slope because I'm not immune to making mistakes and taking my eyes off Jesus like I did. I was just shown this week that when I am with Christ and he is in me, that I will be able to look up and not even realize how I've come so far and just be overwhelmed and satisfied. Satisfied in him. God has been at work in my life, and although I can't say I'm exactly who I want to be, I can thank God that I'm not who I used to be. That is the fruit of the Holy Spirit in my life. And I would say that is the fruit of, of every believer, that they can look up and say, I am not who I used to be. God, you have changed me. And I want to tell you, it's so much greater a feeling when I get to look up and see not how far I've moved away from God, but how far God and I have moved together. I listen, I'm not perfect. I disappoint myself every single day. But that's why I can't put my eyes on me. I have to focus on Christ. I have to tie my rope off to something or I will drift away. And Christ is the only firm foundation in which I can be tied to. So today, if you're struggling with how frustrated you are about how far you've moved away from Christ, I want to speak some words over you, and I hope that through the Holy Spirit they will sink into your heart. First of all, I want you to know that there's nothing you said or done that you can't be forgiven for. The damage might be done, but listen, God can do the impossible. He can turn things around. He has with me so often. He might not. God's sovereign. He can do whatever he wants. But listen, we must repent and turn to him. And we will be forgiven what we have done. We must do this because he's waiting for us. And if for some reason you just can't get over how wretched you are, how did I get so far? Why did I do these things? Why did I say these things? Listen, this is going to be offensive, but you need to hear it. You need to stop being so self-centered. Your life isn't all about you. Your problem is 
you are continuing to drift away from him because your eyes aren't on him. Your eyes are on you. Take your eyes off of you and put it on Christ because he's waiting. Listen, that gap between you and God, it can be closed. And here's the best part. You walk and you realize, man, I have moved so far away from God. I need to turn around and go back. And you don't have to walk all that way back to return to God. In Jesus' parable of the prodigal son, the father ran out and met him on the road. James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. With God, we simply turn to Him and He's there. And when we are in fellowship with Him, it's like we never left. So if you're far away, will you turn to Him today? Hey, thanks again for listening. We pray that God blessed you through this message and has given you a clear direction for your life. Please remember to download our church app by searching FBC Rungi in Google Play or iTunes. And remember to subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss another message. If you have any questions about today's message, you can contact us via Facebook or Twitter or use our website. Until then, we hope that you share in our vision to help people take root, grow, and bear fruit. And if so, then let's get out there and get to work.